Hi, everyone. It's Tom back with another edition of the Cannaboomers podcast. This week, we have Dr. Tom Folan. Tom is bicoastal. He's in New York and San Diego. We caught him in between conferences and appointments with his patients to share his encyclopedic knowledge of medicinal cannabis. He's very focused on helping roll back the stigma around this plant and helping patients and all of us discover how it can help optimize our vitality and wellness. It's a great conversation that dives into recent findings. Uh, we talk about the vaping crisis and a lot of other things. So tune in and I think you'll enjoy it. I also want to urge you to subscribe to my newsletter, Five Boom Friday. You can sign up at cannaboomers.com slash five boom Friday. You'll get the latest on who our next guest is and everything happening in cannabis, CBD, and wellness. So sign up cannaboomers.com slash five boom Friday, or I'll put a link in the show notes as well. Uh, the interview is right uh, after this from Danny in Milwaukee, who makes us sound good every week. Thanks, Danny. And thanks to Dr. Tom Follin for sharing his knowledge. Enjoy the episode. This is Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast, CBD, microdosing, and all things related to medical cannabis for baby boomers. From San Diego, here's your host, Thomas J. Hey, we're very happy to have Dr. Tom Follin with us today. How are you, Tom? Doing well, uh, Tom. Thanks for having me. Just so we know, you're, you're out on the West Coast? That is correct. San Diego this morning. We were just chatting and you were talking about going back and forth. Uh, you spend time on both coasts, actually. That, that, that's right. I'm bi-coastal. Um, I operate a lot out of uh, New York and California um, um, at, at the moment. And I used to actually live over on the East Coast. So it's kind of like uh, going home. But uh, certainly you can get a little grueling. Uh, but that's what coffee is for. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I always like flying back into San Diego, and especially this time of year, October, the weather is pretty gorgeous. It, it really is. And especially as it's getting a little cooler on the East Coast, it makes you appreciative uh, to return home to sunny San Diego. Um, so, yes, always, always a pleasure to touch down. Well, we're really happy to have another doctor on. We've had a few doctors. Uh, we had Benjamin Kaplan, MD, recently, and we've had Peter Grinspoon earlier. But I still get the sense that the cannabis-enlightened MDs are few and far between. So I'm wondering, how long have you been in this space, and, and does it get lonely as a guy who who really is a proponent of cannabis? Uh, so I think that's a great question. Um, you know, uh, I've certainly been following uh, the show for a while and uh, following Cannaboomers and uh, you know, all of us online, we're kind of a tight-knit community. We're all familiar with who the players are because, as you've noted, it is a smaller uh, contingent of uh, physicians, scientists, and other advocates, I would say, rather than activists who are really just trying to uh, uh, reopen the discussion on cannabis, uh, you know, a, a medication and a plant that's been around uh, for thousands of years. Um, and, you know, the way we kind of look at it is that this plant has been the victim of uh, political uh, oppression and manipulation rather than anything really changing about the properties of the plant. Um, and so to that end, uh, you know, I think there are quite a few physicians out there who uh, are curious about this or who are already aware of it. I mean, you mentioned uh, Peter Grinspoon and Benjamin Kaplan, who certainly are, you know, titans in this field. Uh, but, you know, having just returned from CanMed uh, 2019 uh, up in Pasadena, uh, you know, I was working with uh, Dr. Caroline McCallum, um, uh, Dustin Sulak, uh, you know, and then obviously we have, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Borbora, uh, Mike Hart, MD, uh, and a bunch of others who are also really kind of, um, you know, 
asking uh, the questions on cannabis, uh, presenting the evidence uh, for what it is, and then really having the discussions anywhere from uh, can CBD uh, really help with my back pain all the way up to cannabis use disorder and cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. Um, and so, uh, you know, rather than feeling lonely out here, I actually feel quite well supported. And I'm very thankful that uh, I'm alive in a time where we can use uh, tools like Twitter and that uh, to uh, get together podcasts such as this to disseminate the message uh, about all things cannabis uh, and all things endocannabinoid system, uh, more importantly. Um, and uh, so, you know, rather as a, again, than feeling lonely, I would say I feel quite well supported. Well, there's lots of ground to be made up. I mean, the prohibition era was rife with a lot of misinformation, and we are learning. Uh, people know that CBD is can be good for you, and uh, I think people are beginning to understand that we do have an endocannabinoid system. But as you say, there's so much education to be done. Absolutely. Um, and again, you know, uh, it, it, this is why discussions such as these uh, podcasts, such as this, are, are so vital, uh, really, in uh, bringing um, <clears throat> the latest uh, to uh, an audience that wants to know, uh, because that's the thing, right? Like coming out of medical school, um, I knew next to nothing about cannabis as medicine and really didn't even know that we had an endocannabinoid system. And I, you know, it, it, I think that's still the case for a great many physicians. And it's this funny thing like, oh, cannabis, ha, 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 people getting high with bunts and bombs. But they don't really understand that uh, we're now at a, a stage where you can get an edible that's one milligram, two milligrams, that's a, a tested and very precise. And um, we're seeing one cohort or one population we're seeing using this to great effect are those over the age of 65. Um, which is really interesting, um, and they're looking for this precision control, and they want to get off their Ambien, they want to get off their Xanax, they want to reduce the amount of opioids they're on, and they're uh, coming to us and seeking us out and saying, you know, can I uh, use uh, cannabis or cannabinoids uh, as a way to improve my health, improve my quality of life, um, and maybe decrease my dependence on other medications? Have you seen this in your own practice? Are you able to recommend cannabis to your patients? Absolutely. So uh, part of the reason why I'm bi-coastal and operate out of New York and uh, California is those two particular states allow me to use uh, telemedicine and also to issue uh, recommendations to patients um, the first time I uh, meet with them if I feel uh, that they meet you know, the state's criteria uh, and um, that they would benefit uh, from cannabis uh, or from cannabinoids uh, because indeed it's not always a THC-containing uh, product that the patient will end up uh, potentially being advised uh, uh, to, to, to steer in that direction. So we can't issue uh, prescriptions for patients that's federally illegal, but we can issue, uh, you know, as you pointed out, recommendations. Um, and so that's one of the things that my company, SolaceMD, uh, will eventually be doing. Uh, we'll be issuing recommendations in the state of New York and in California. At the current time, I personally issue uh, recommendations in both states. Um, <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, uh, abs absolutely. Yeah. But again, it's always uh, on a case by case basis uh, and not, you know, uh, just uh, uh, carte blanche issuing recommendations. I really want to, you know, engage with these patients, find out what are they using it for. Um, and actually, the, a large part of my practice is working with glioblastoma patients uh, so that they can incorporate this uh, 
plant and uh, this group of medications into their treatment regimen. And what exactly is glioblastoma? Sure. So glioblastoma is a primary brain cancer. It arises from glial cells in the uh, in the uh, central nervous system, the brain, uh, and it's a typically devastating diagnosis. Um, unfortunately, the average time uh, for survival uh, from the time of diagnosis is approximately 16 months. Uh, with our best available treatments today, uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy. Um, and so the role of cannabis in the context of uh, this diagnosis it can be for several reasons, uh, but one of which is to deal with the unfortunate uh, chemotherapy and radiation therapy uh, side effects, uh, such as nausea and vomiting, uh, for which the THC uh, has great effect. But then there's also some very interesting preclinical and uh, phase two uh, clinical work um, from GW Pharmaceuticals uh, showing that actually using cannabinoids in addition to the chemotherapy and the radiation uh, can add approximately 240 days of life or eight months. Um, so for the patients I work with, uh, the potential of that is very promising, uh, obviously, once they've been dealt uh, this very uh, tough diagnosis. Do you know what the mechanism is there? Is it allowing them to better deal with the side effects or is there something else happening? Sure. So there's a, we know that there's a couple of mechanisms at play. The cannabinoids themselves actually uh, are, are anti-neoplastic. Uh, they're anti-angiogenic. Uh, they're pro-apoptotic. And these are all words describing um, the ways we can attack a tumor. We deprive it of its blood supply. We cause the cell to commit suicide. And so we can show this in, in petri dishes uh, that uh, CBD and THC themselves um, uh, have this uh, possibility. But then we also know that uh, certain cannabinoids can actually increase the sensitivity of the tumor uh, to uh, radiotherapy. Um, and so there, and there may well be even more mechanisms that we're, we're not familiar with uh, for why uh, these uh, cannabinoids can actually extend life. And I would also point out that building on GW's work, there's a physician out of Yale called Nicholas Blondin who uh, released another study in the Journal of Neuro-Oncology in November of 2018 where he replicated uh, the results um, of GW in patients who were being seen at Yale uh, for a diagnosis of glioblastoma. Um, and so, as I mentioned, uh, for, certainly for my patients, this is very, very encouraging because, you know, eight months on top of 16 months uh, to start with, that's a huge amount of time to potentially get your affairs in order, to spend with your family and your children. Um, and so, uh, yes, uh, my patients are very interested in exploring this avenue. Some of my previous guests have said we're not at a point. We're never, maybe never at a point where we'll say cannabis cures cancer. But you can say that it has some therapeutic efficacy in conjunction with other treatments. That's exactly correct. And you know, uh, again, to go back to physicians who are out on the road talking about cannabis, <clears throat> Dr. Donald Abrams uh, from uh, uh, UCSF. Um, you know, he's a, a I believe he used to be the head of oncology there, and I, now he, I, he may be at Zuckerberg uh, General in San Francisco. In any event, he's an oncologist, and he, you know, had famously said that he put all of his patients on medical cannabis because there's very there, there's actually no other anti-emetic uh, medication that actually 
prevents you from throwing up, which simultaneously increases your appetite. Uh, you know, so the ability to do that in one medication to help people sleep, uh, maybe to improve their mood, what some people would call getting high, uh, that can actually be a cathartic effect uh, for these patients who are you know, being radiated, going through chemotherapy, they feel like hell. And as a physician, it's any medication where you can potentially uh, provide some degree of relief uh, from that experience uh, while simultaneously decreasing nausea and improving appetite. Um, why would you not give it to the patient? And that's all in the context of geoblastoma. But something you mentioned earlier was the interest from people over 65. You don't have to have a brain tumor to have insomnia, anxiety, inflammation, some of the, the things that cannabis can treat effectively. That's, that's exactly correct. And in fact, uh, another uh, 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 group of individuals that I treat are just people who uh, are over the age of 65 and they have, you know, uh, chronic diseases, aging, they, they made it to 65, so they have 65-year-old bones, they have back pain. Um, maybe they have lost lost a loved one and they're living alone and they're depressed or they're anxious or, as you point out, they have insomnia, they have difficulty falling asleep. Um, so this is where cannabis and cannabinoids, when dosed effectively, uh, again, starting at that really low range of one to two milligrams and going up from there incrementally and using the tools available in that particular state for that patient uh, in terms of what's the medical uh, status, what's the recreational status, and then seeing what's available um, and uh, uh, working out uh, um, a plan for that patient individually. And uh, the, the results have been amazing. I have patients who have completely gotten off their benzodiazepines that they would have been prescribed for anxiety. And these are not benign medications. Uh, it's easy to overdose if you uh, take them with alcohol. And these patients, again, because they're uh, elderly, uh, they can have uh, untoward effects from the benzodiazepines, such as sundowning, uh, which is where they become confused. And so... Uh, the, the, the point is that I don't want to, you know, have an anti-pharma pharmacy message or, you know, oh, big pharma is bad because I don't believe that. Part of what I do as an MD is actually say, look, I'm so thankful that we have every tool we have uh, from uh, pharmaceutical companies. But at the same time, uh, it's judicious use. And it's saying, you know, should we be using a bazooka here or will a handgun take care of this? And the handgun being cannabis and the bazookas uh, being the opioids and the benzodiazepines and things that, in my professional opinion, uh, have much more potential for uh, bad outcomes um, when just, you know, thrown at routine anxiety or low-level depression, uh, things like that. Um, but, you know, certainly I'm not suggesting that uh, we do away with any of the pharmacy either. Tell me more about Solace MD. I mean, it sounds like you're going to be able to use technology in a way to uh, reach more patients or potential patients. Will you see them on Skype or how will that work? So we have a proprietary built-in video conferencing uh, platform that we have built uh, using the latest technology that's out there. So the most important thing with that is that you need to be HIPAA compliant, uh, whereby you make sure that the information gathered is stored securely. And um, that's actually uh, what we've been uh, optimizing most recently. But to describe what SolusMD is, it's basically three things. It will uh, be a website uh, that offers the ability to get a recommendation for medical cannabis in the state of New York and the state of uh, California. Uh, 
uh, to start at least, um, should you uh, meet the criteria for that uh, state's program and you have uh, interest and uh, the doctor, the physician you are seeing or the nurse practitioner, or potentially if it's in New York, uh, they, they uh, agree that you meet these criteria and that you would benefit from cannabis. The second thing the platform aims to do is to give away free information uh, in terms of, for example, uh, what is glioblastoma and what is the evidence uh, that's out there in terms of the evidence in petri dishes, the evidence in mice, the evidence in humans, and really spelling that out for the, uh, for, for, for the consumer and for the patients potentially who are learning, uh, looking to learn more. Maybe they're skeptical. Uh, you know, all they know of cannabis is, uh, you know, uh, that it smells or that, uh, you know, it's like something that hippies do. Uh, and, but maybe, you know, they're looking to learn uh, about this. Is this really medicine? Uh, show me your evidence. So we want to present that uh, to those individuals and let them make up their own mind. And the third thing the platform aims to do will be to offer tailored consultations. Um, so if, for example, you have a child with autism or a loved one with glioblastoma, and now you want to spend maybe an hour with a physician um, asking pointed questions and finding out, um, you know, how can this potentially help that we could provide that as well? Um, so those would be the three uh, main arms of uh, what Solace MD uh, does. But then obviously in addition to that, we have a social media presence where we're talking about the issues of the day, such as the vaping epidemic um, or um, again, any number of diseases and cannabis and cannabinoids. Um, and then uh, also going to places like CanMed. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to a precision medicine conference where I'll be talking about the latest knowledge uh, relating to all things cannabis. So it's uh, Solace MD is all of these things. Um, we're, again, we're not trying to uh, be cannabis activists, but we're just trying to say, hey, we actually have MDs and we're willing to study the literature. We're willing to uh, uh, go through all of that for you, try to make sense of it for you, and then answer your questions regarding cannabis and cannabinoids uh, with that veneer of, uh, you know, authenticity and professionalism. Well, when you mentioned uh, maybe spending an hour with a physician, that's almost unheard of, but that would be fabulous. Absolutely. So again, the idea for Solace MD came after I worked with one of the other uh, telemedicine cannabis uh, card issuing platforms. And I, I won't name who they are, but I worked for them for a small period of time. And uh, it, 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 it's not that I it, it, it saw anything wrong with what they were doing, but I did see an absence of what I would like to see, which is, you know, we're saying this is medical cannabis and we're giving people recommendations. But what about those patients who maybe have never used cannabis in any capacity and they really do have someone with uh, a seizure disorder or, or a glioblastoma or really bad migraines, fibromyalgia, and now in addition to uh, you know just getting the recommendation, they maybe have more questions about you know what is microdosing, I've read about that, um, uh, what strains do I use, what cultivars, um, uh, you know, um, do, do different terpene profiles help? Is there any evidence to support what you're saying? Uh, things like that where it's just a bit more involved um, so that uh, that individual can really, you know, uh, uh, feel confident in using cannabis uh, for their medical condition. Kind of a unique thing about cannabis is it can increase your self-awareness. And when you're 
putting that in the context of a discussion about health, it might encourage someone to listen more to their body and to actually begin to take more responsibility for what's happening with their symptoms and maybe change their diet, maybe exercise. Can it be a catalyst in that way, do you think? A hundred percent. So, you know, one of the big themes this year at CanMed was uh, the cannabinoid acids. So, you know, in the raw plant, uh, before anything is decarboxylated or we apply heat to it uh, uh, to liberate, you know, delta nine THC, we have other we have acids in the plant such as THCA and CBDA, and what were a big idea within uh, medical cannabis and just the cannabis community right now is really looking at the plant as this potpourri of cannabinoids and non-cannabinoid elements, the terpenes, the flavonoids, all these different things, uh, the acids, um, you know, aged products uh, or oxidized products uh, like CBN, and, and, and really looking at how can we tease these things apart and use them for uh, either you know, for longevity as a nootropic uh, for, to, to, for, for wellness, right? And so when you use that word wellness uh, in medicine, there's a bit of a scoff. People think of goop and they think of jade vaginal eggs and people being sold to this lie. When I use the word wellness, it's to your point about potentially using small amounts of these acids and other elements within the cannabis plant to just optimize your vitality and to restore homeostatic balance. Because as we know, our endocannabinoid system uh, is our homeostatic uh, mechanism within the body, which DeMarzo et al. You know, uh, famously coined as the eat, sleep, relax, forget, and protect system. And certainly in the current uh, day and age with all the stressors and kind of craziness in the world around us, these things have been disrupted in so many individuals. And so it may well be the case uh, that by uh, optimizing uh, their own internal endocannabinoid system or by augmenting that with phytocannabinoids such as exogenous THC and CBD, that, that we can certainly promote uh, a more balanced approach where people are eating better, sleeping better, feel more vital, and, we, and potentially doing this with very small amounts of these uh, cannabinoid acids and uh, cannabinoids. You've mentioned that conference a couple of times. Is that, was uh, Dr. Mashulam there? He made an announcement about these acids, right? They did. So the, yeah, the big thing this year was the, something called methyl ester. Uh, which is a, just a more stable form uh, of the acid uh, that could be used in medications because this was one of the big issues is having these acids remain uh, in a stable form where you could package it and uh, sell it. And they were talking about licensing this this year. Um, and so that was kind of uh, the big news. Um, but to be, be beyond that, it, um, you know, also Dr. David Mieri was there, D.D. Mieri, who uh, gave a fascinating kind of talk on, yeah, you know, chronic pain and um, uh, how cannabis will, will be used in the future, basically to say that it will be used in two formats, that we will pick the plant apart, understand each individual compound, potentially magnify that and give it back in, you know, the standard way we think of medicine and the pill. Uh, but then also very interestingly that the other route will be that, that we will use cannabis in its whole form because when they uh, see that, that 
its use in chronic pain patients in Israel. Uh, the patients have such an improvement in their quality of life uh, and a, a decrease in their catastrophizing of their pain, a decrease in their focus on their anxiety and pain, that there's also a place for that. So uh, on the one hand, we'll be getting very technical. We'll be producing uh, pills and capsules and lozenges um, that will have these, you know, uh, high-end cannabinoid products, but then on the other end, there will also be a place for the whole plant entourage effect uh, that we currently know works very well for many different types of patients. So there's lots of exciting science that's progressing. Even as we kind of undo the prohibition story, we're uncovering more knowledge as we go. A hundred percent. I mean, it's everything I can do uh, just to keep up with all the science in, uh, in cannabis. It, there's so much, you know, from once I get out of work, I'm reading, I'm online talking about it. Uh, I'm, re uh, you know, reviewing the latest uh, paper. Um, and I just see the past couple of weeks there, we've had some very interesting work come out uh, about uh, CBD and its effect on uh, what's called the ERK pathway uh, in the hippocampus of the brain. Uh, basically that, you know, if you think of the way Dr. Kaplan describes it, is CBD turns the volume down on the THC and how they kind of have this antagonistic relationship, but how it's protective. And what's interesting about this is this is kind of the first time where we've uh, seen this mechanism at play in humans. We had known uh, this to kind of be uh, at play in mice, but of course, uh, what we see in mice does not always translate uh, to humans. So to be able to kind of see this work for the first time uh, is fascinating. Uh, more recently, there's been some work coming out that shows that actually, uh, as we get older, THC can sharpen uh, uh, parts of our brain. Um, and now again, uh, this would be a very small amount uh, taken daily, uh, but absolutely every day there's, you know, 50, 60, 70 new papers coming out on cannabis and cannabinoids from all around the world. And, you know, it's just kind of hilarious when people are like, oh, there's no research. And typically what they mean when they say that is, I'm not familiar with any research. Uh, it's not that there isn't any research. <laughs> they just, they're not aware of it. Yeah. Uh, on my list of questions was, does it make sense for those of us who are concerned about some of the diseases of aging, you know, a lot of them are related to inflammation, prophylactic toka day, does that Makes sense, so, or or as you say, like a, a one gram, one milligram uh, edible, or we have lots to learn. But at this point, does it make sense to maybe take a little bit each day as, as a preventative measure? So we want to be obviously very careful. You're, I, I know you're talking about an elderly kind of population, and you know the, the way to understand it is up until the age of twenty five, um, you know using a lot of THC could potentially have some deleterious effects uh, on memory and um, uh, other uh, cognitive parameters. But after that, uh, the evidence is seeming to suggest that it could have a protective mechanism. So we want to be very careful with the messaging. We're not suggesting that people go out and start blasting themselves uh, with high doses uh, of THC and cannabis daily after the age of 25. But certainly uh, the preliminary evidence is pointing to the fact that rather than harming your memory or impairing you, that actually a small amount of these substances could well indeed be beneficial. Um, so 
we also have to be, you know, just careful with this message because for a certain percentage of the population, you know, people may become dependent uh, on uh, cannabis or find themselves having escalating use. Uh, we know that there are entities such as cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, um, uh, where certain individuals will eventually, you know, just start throwing up um, and running into issues. Now, again, it's a very small percentage of the population, but then. We also know that in other individuals who maybe possess certain genes and uh, elements that would predispose them to schizophrenia uh, and psychosis, they may have uh, some, you know, a bad outcome uh, using the cannabinoid. So I, I don't ever like giving a blanket statement like I think everyone over this age uh, should be using these substances, just carte blanche. But certainly what they should be doing is having a conversation with their physicians, with their nurse practitioners, uh, their PAs. Uh, their nurses about cannabis and uh, just saying, hey, you know, I'm taking these medications for this issue. Is there a role for cannabis? And if their physician doesn't know, then I would encourage them uh, to, you know, seek out physicians or other healthcare providers that do know and on a case-by-case -case basis can decide if this works for them. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, cannabis has a very safe therapeutic index, uh, um, and for a large percentage of the population, I do see it having a role uh, as we uh, as we age. Uh, but again, I, I give that kind of lengthy answer because uh, it's it's important uh, that you are honest. That you know, it may not work for everyone, but certainly you can see it working for a large percentage of the folk. Sure. You know, there's not one single thing you can say about the plant that's true for everyone. And uh, I think as Dr. Kaplan characterized it, it's a pharmacy in a plant. Um, so it's very multidimensional. That's exactly correct. And that's kind of the beauty of uh, you know, cannabis as a botanical, um, as Mara Gordon uh, famously says about, you know, it's bespoke medicine. Uh, which is very true, right? So uh, you even we know already that uh, there are certain individuals, and because of their genetic makeup, uh, you give two different people ten milligrams of uh, THC, and one of them will break it down three times slower. Um, so uh, it's great to see companies like uh, Strain Genie and others uh, coming out where they're going to be able to, you know, uh, give you that detailed information on what your uh, uh, cannabinoid system looks like and if you're potentially one of these metabolizers that will break something down three times as slow as someone else or three times quicker um and so i think we're just at the outset of really tapping into this massive system which is responsible for so much within us and um there's such variability from individual to individual in how they respond uh, but i don't think it's beyond our capabilities to sort that out and i think in 10, 20 years, it will just be unconscionable that we ever were not teaching about this in medical schools. I've paid attention on Twitter too, and amazingly, there are there is still a contingent of people saying that this is the devil's weed, and we're all misdirected in, in saying that it's a legitimate medicine. Do you think at some point these people will accept the science of this? You know, they would like to roll it back, and who knows? Sure. Things, things happen, right? Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, look at where we are in the world right now in terms of how potentially, you know, regressive we've become in certain ways that, you know, 10 years ago, I just wouldn't have thought possible, really. Uh, so never say never. But what I would say is that it's hard to dispute the evidence. Uh, it's hard to continue to keep your head in the sand when, uh, the, the, you know, 
we have uh, cannabis uh, medically in 33 states, recreationally in 10 states. Uh, greater than 50% of the population want this legalized. And so as a physician, as a healthcare provider, it's your job to know uh, uh, even if these patients are taking the substance recreationally, you need to, if someone comes in and tells you I'm using CBD, um, there are certain physicians that right now don't know the difference between CBD and THC, and they think that someone taking CBD is getting high. Um, and so what I'm saying is that in medicine, if you're a dinosaur or if you don't keep up with knowledge, uh, you're out, you won't survive. And if your patients are no more uh, about medicines than you, then they're not going to come back to you. And um, there's just such a groundswell of global interest in cannabis and cannabinoids, um, and there's such a massive amount of research that I really don't see any physician uh, you, you know, staying in business in the next 10, 15 years if they are just completely ignorant about the potential of uh, you know, the endocannabinoid system in cannabis. Well, I hope you're right. I've had that experience myself where I talked to a physician about CBD, and the response was, well, yeah, it can uh, increase your appetite and it can help you sleep. So, yeah, whatever you want to do, which was kind of stunning. Right. But uh, hopefully we're moving past that. So I want to uh, switch gears a little and ask you about something that's obviously been in the news in the last few months, and that's the, the vaping crisis. It's really a crisis now where there's a lot of parts to that, too. What's your take on what's happening there? Right. So, you know, this has been a very kind of sensationalized issue. We've had the Surgeon General uh, coming out very strongly against uh, yeah, cannabis products. And so the first thing to you know point out to anyone who may not be familiar is that the vast majority of the disease and the death that occurred uh, in this uh, epidemic, uh, so-called, um, were in individuals who were using illicit market uh, THC products. And these products were being cut uh, with uh, diluents such as vitamin E acetate. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar, vitamin E acetate is a dermatological product uh, that should never be inhaled into the lungs. It can result in a condition called lipoid pneumonia, um, where basically once the substance cools down after being inhaled, it uh, forms an oil in your lungs and can lead to a really nasty pneumonia. Um, it was also causing uh, hemorrhage and other effects. Um, the, the other issues, uh, so that was one component. Now, the other issue was that uh, the cartridges that were being filled uh, were coming from China and potentially had, uh, uh, you know, uh, heavy metals and toxic metals um, that when heated could release volatile agents. Um, and so uh, the reason why that's important is when Leafly came to California or did independent testing, um, I, I believe uh, on legal market products, they didn't find a single uh, one of these uh, substances in the legal market products. Uh, but of course, in states where people did not have access to these legal market products, they were forced to resort to the illicit market where these unscrupulous players uh, were creating these really dangerous products that have now resulted in over 20 people dead and hundreds of people uh, sick. And in fact, there was one... Uh, guy in Wisconsin where he was producing 5,000 of these vape cartridges per day. I was listening to something uh, just the other day about outlaw growers in California and the a very common fungicide that's used on many crops, almonds, grapes, but on those crops, it gets washed off. And the nature of the cannabis flower is it doesn't get washed. And 
that can then be concentrated into an oil. So someone exposing themselves to that oil is getting a really high dose of a fungicide that doesn't react well with your body when you heat it up. So there's parts of this story that are just still emerging. How can people protect themselves in, in your opinion? Right. And that's a great point as well, which I hadn't even uh, gotten to, but the microbutanol, I, I believe it is, um, and, and others, uh, then when heated, become cyanide uh, in small amounts. What people are, you know, will be quick to point out is that these products are, uh, you know, when you heat up a cigarette, you get the same compounds. But certainly with cannabis and cannabinoids, we don't want to be compared to uh, cigarettes <laughs> in any capacity. We want to be the, the better industry where we're trying to move away from uh, any kind of danger. And uh, as you talk about bioaccumulation, where small amounts of these substances over time can do damage. So really what, what, what I would say to people is, you know, for right now, be very cautious with any kind of oils at all and consider just uh, uh, using uh, uh, dry vape uh, of uh, uh, cannabis uh, uh, product rather than any of the oils um, for the time being. Uh, and certainly what we need over time to happen is for there to be uh, better regulatory mechanisms in place and better uh, lab testing so that we're testing for all of these products and uh, before unleashing them on the public. Um, but in the immediate and the short term, what I would say to people is uh, to uh, stick to, you know, the old uh, uh, original ways of uh, consuming their uh, cannabis medicine over uh, some of these oils. And certainly if they are going to resort to the oils, to only go with well-known uh, brands that only have the best products uh, and that are tested. Uh, but part of the issue is that certain states weren't even testing for some of these compounds up until this vaping uh, epidemic uh, occurred and so if there's anything good that will come out of this it will be that uh, we will have much tighter regulation and inspection of these products and that we can certainly understand all the attendant risks uh, when using them. Yes. Well, and hopefully, you know, we're all waiting for the federal government to deschedulize it, take it off of Schedule 1. But it's really hard to regulate an illegal product. So maybe this gives more impetus to a federal legalization. But, right. And so that's exactly what we've been, you know, going back and forth with the Surgeon General about where he's saying, oh, you know, um, people are dying from inhaling THC. And this is the narrative that's being advanced. And we're saying, well, actually, the THC has nothing to do with it. It just so happens that if people are going to be people, they are want to use uh, THC, and if they can't get it legally, they're forced to resort to the illicit market. And the, the great analogy here is with prohibition and all of the people that ended up blind or poisoned uh, from alcohol that was, uh, you know, contained methanol, which has to be burned off um, the alcohol when it's produced. But of course, when you don't have regulatory mechanisms in place uh, to inspect the alcohol, then bad things happen. So this is a case of history repeating itself. And as they say, if you don't learn from history, you're destined to repeat it. So it's really just beyond comprehension that the highest uh, health uh, official in the land is pushing this narrative, uh, you know, that let's get rid of vapes and things like that, when really what we should be saying is, we need to deschedule this. We need to have all the universities studying everything about cannabis, about uh, vaporizing cannabis, and understanding all the risks, rather than saying, let's go backwards and make things illegal. And all you do is fuel the black market, the illicit market, 
and drive the entire process underground. Right. That genie's out of the bottle. And speaking of dry vaping, I had a guest a few weeks ago from Tweedle Farms up in Oregon. They grow a high CBD, well, several strains of high CBD flour. So it is possible to get your dry vaporizer, grind up some high CBD flour, and expose yourself to the, and that's true vaporizer. It's vape. It's not aerosolized. You don't have to combust. You, you can inhale the vapor. It's not a dose like a capsule but it's farm to table and that's not a bad way to go. That, that's exactly correct. And you make a great point about vaporizing uh, versus uh, vaping. And that's also a discussion which has been playing out um, on Twitter and other uh, areas to, that we start, you know, distinguishing between those two things. Um, and, you know, some people have the old volcano set up, uh, they, whatever they have, however, you know, uh, whatever they had used prior to these newer technologies, these vape pens with the oils, um, you know, uh, that's available to them. Certainly, as you said, you can avoid combusting altogether. And now with the range of products as well, there are tinctures, uh, there are bombs, uh, there are edibles, uh, you know, down to really small doses. So, um, you know, I don't think people are are stuck using these uh, vape pens again it, that's in, in the legal states. So unfortunately, in, in the illegal states, uh, that's where you have to be more judicious. Uh, but certainly, no one should be buying anything off the illicit market because the risk is just so huge and uh, you could really do severe damage to yourself. Right. Well, in the, the counterfeit aspect, you might think you're getting a, a kingpin pen from a leading manufacturer, but there are counterfeit pieces out there. So I think, I think it's important to probably go to a dispensary if you can. I, I completely agree, and I, I forget what I was watching, but it was just kind of sickening to see where uh, they, uh, all these, you know, Kingpin and Dank Buds and all these other brands, you could go into just south of LA and uh, pick all these things up, pick up the vape cartridges for literally pennies, and uh, they were tracing them back to China where they came from, and the people making these things are just trying to survive, They, you know, God knows what's in it, and you really don't want to be heating those metals up and inhaling that. So I would just say to people, like, you know, these cartridges off the street, it's just not worth it for your health. And being a radiologist and seeing some of these injuries come into the hospital, the lungs of these individuals look really bad. So, uh, you know, educate yourself, uh, get online, check out all the conversation that's going on in the cannabis community. People are talking about these issues and putting out uh, a lot of information uh, to try and keep people safe. Because again, we understand that getting a message out, just don't use uh, cannabis and cannabinoids, that's not really going to work. So what we need to be doing is educating people about what, if you are going to uh, use these uh, products for the recreation or medically, uh, please educate yourself as to what the current status is and what brands such as Dank Buds and uh, kingpins and that are are, be, uh, are involved in this um, and uh, be judicious in choosing your products. Absolutely. So we've covered a lot of ground and I appreciate you're going to conferences and you're dealing with patients in your practice. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you'd like to tell our audience about cannabis and, and medicinal properties of it? Sure. So, um, you know, it, this has been a great talk, uh, Tom. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, I could talk all day about cannabis and cannabinoids. Um, it, it's uh, an area that I feel uh, has been neglected. Um, and so, and as Dr. Kaplan notes, it's an entire pharmacy in the plant. But what I would say to people is the following things. Uh, it's 
neither a panacea uh, nor is it you know the devil incarnate and really the biggest issue with cannabis is the stigma associated with it um, so what I would say to people is uh, you know um, really it's about a conversation about you know could this plant be beneficial to you in your life um, uh, whether as a sleep aid whether as uh, maybe something to deal with low-level anxiety for which you don't necessarily feel like you need Xanax or, or, or something else. Um, but then also, you know, uh, that uh, there is potential for harm with cannabis as well, uh, where a certain percentage will become dependent. Uh, there are discussions such as cannabinoid hygromasis syndrome um, that uh, we want to get out there. But really, people shouldn't be afraid of this plant. It's been used as medicine uh, going back thousands of years and uh, again a lot of the issue about uh, cannabis is the press and reefer madness and Alex Berenson uh, type uh, uh, propaganda uh, that you know again it's not going to uh, you know slap you upside the head and rob your house and leave you destitute um, uh, but hey it may make you eat better sleep better feel better about life uh, when used in combination with eating right and exercising and the rest of it. Uh, so that's that, that's really what I would say to the audience. That's a great summation of our chat, and I'm so glad to have had you. Where can we find you online? Sure. So uh, right now our staging site is up at solacemd.com, and at the bottom there it has our email if you wanted to reach out to us for any reason, which is team at solacemd.com. Dot com. We also are online on uh, Twitter. Uh, you can follow me uh, at, uh, at Tom Fulham MD on Twitter. Um, uh, Solace MD is also on Instagram, um, at Solace MD. Um, and I believe we're on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. Uh, so any of these platforms, uh, you can reach out to us. And again, uh, if you uh, were looking uh, for a consultation or anything like that, uh, you could reach out to us at team at solacemd.com. That's great. We'll get that in the show notes. And uh, thank you, Dr. Tom Fullen, for taking the time and uh, helping us educate our audience. It's such an important message. You are so authoritative on it. And um, I hope we can have you back sometime. That would be great, Tom. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you this morning. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Weed, the Cannaboomers podcast with Thomas J. For more on medicinal cannabis for baby boomers, visit us at cannaboomers.com.